0: Welcome back to Pod is a Woman, an honest, unfiltered conversation about the current state of politics and pop culture from three veterans of the Obama White House, who also happen to be friends. I'm Alejandra. I'm Darian. And I'm Johanna. Today we have a very, very special guest, Dr. Edith Eager. She is a Holocaust survivor, a clinical psychologist and lecturer, and the author of several very powerful books. We are so excited to have her with us today.
1: You know, in prepping for this interview, I got a chance to read her latest book. Dr. Eger was already a New York Times bestselling author with her first book, The Choice, but she's just recently come out with The Gift. And The Gift is 12 Lessons to Save Your Life. And it really goes deeper than that. First, Dr. Eger talks about losing her parents in the Holocaust. She talks about losing her childhood in the Holocaust. She talks about having to find herself and the lessons that she has in finding herself, saving her life, and saving a lot more lives through her work with many patients. It was an extraordinary read that will definitely make you cry a lot, but she talks a lot about finding forgiveness for yourself before you can ever truly grasp hold of your life. And I think we get to hear in this interview, a lot of her idioms, which if you enjoy in this interview, you definitely can read more in the gift um, and the choice.
2: And before we jump to our interview, we want to take a moment to honor the life of Dante Wright The 20-year-old father was shot and killed at the hands of the police in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, on Sunday. He was on the phone with his mother. He had an air freshener hanging from his front window, and we are just outraged. This is a city that is not far from where the Derek Chauvin case is currently being tried, a city that saw... The police murder another black father, George Floyd, last year in Philando Castile in 2016. We share in his family's outrage, in the hurt that exists within this community. And our hearts are with so many black and brown mothers who feel this pain and have this worry every single day. And we are hoping for accountability. We are hoping for healing for so many of these families that have lost their black brothers to senseless, senseless killings. So we are thinking of this family and we are saying his name and we are holding space for this pain.
1: It's absolutely tragic. And I think there's definitely a lot of pain and grief in this moment. And I think we couldn't have a better guest to talk us through pain and grief than Dr. Eager. So let's get right to it.
0: Dr. Edith Eager is a sought-after clinical psychologist and lecturer helping individuals discard their limitations, discover their powers of self-renewal, and achieve things they previously thought unattainable. Her first book, The Choice, became a New York Times bestseller. In her most recent book, The Gift, she offers a hands-on practical guide that encourages readers to change the thoughts and behaviors that may be keeping them imprisoned in the past. We are so honored to have you today with us, Dr. Eager.
3: Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for lovely introduction. As I told you before that I hope to be a good role model to you. When you are 93, you're going to say, oh well, I know that aging is wonderful because you think young and live in the present.
0: You are a role model no matter what someone's age is. And you actually want to start by quoting something that Oprah said about you. She said, quote, I will forever be changed by Edith Eger's story. So we'd love to start by asking you to share your own story in your own words.
3: Thank you. I uh, wish we had more time. So (laughs) I'm going to, (laughs) in the beginning, in the beginning, I was born in 1927. September 29th, and that makes me a Libra. I always put everything on a scale, in the one hand, on the other hand, and uh, that's, that's my calling. I don't call it my work, I call it my calling. And I am never going to retire, because the older I get, and I like to tell everyone that, that suffering is about life suffering is about how you can become stronger because if you survive i guarantee you you don't panic anymore you just know that it takes time and you develop more patience and look at life from inside out not to wait for something happening outside of you so i'm hoping to let you know that you can save lives you the young people to go out there and let people know that they can really be people who can change lives you can go to an orphanage and and you can really call yourself the way i do i'm not a shrink i'm a stretch and Today, I'm going to stretch your possibilities. And then you go out and touch someone else. And so it goes that we're gonna have a human family. And you can be you, and I can be me, but together, we're gonna be much stronger by empowering each other with our differences.
1: You know, I I love that, Dr. Eger. And I read your book, The Gift, 12 Thank Lessons, you to save your life, it was so powerful. And you start, um, you tell us about your journey and about so many of your patients' journeys and people you know, but one thing that stood out to me, you said, seeds of despair abound. I survived Auschwitz and communist Europe and I came to America, land of the free, and discovered that the bathrooms and drinking fountains in the factory where I worked in Baltimore were segregated. I'd fled hate and prejudice only to find more prejudice and hate. You know, we all worked with President Obama and all of us are kind of working towards that world as it should be. And so we're all in this moment of reflection together, um, kind of a long overdue reckoning of racial discrimination in our own country. And in the book cast by Isabel Wilkerson, she writes of how the Germans learned from some of the U.S. policies, including one drop of blood to allow not only just the discrimination, but the elimination of people. How can we apply your lessons from the gift to this current moment in time and our political climate?
3: You know, you can imagine how I felt when on January 6th this year, I I saw a shirt wearing by someone saying six million was not enough. And I began to cry, thinking, oh my God, I never thought I will hear such a thing here in America. I came to America to find the freedom and democracy, and I found prejudice. Prejudice means to prejudge. We're not born to hate, we learn it. I think we're born with love and joy, and most of all, passion in life. And that's what I'm hoping, that you're going to really spread to everyone, and I'm gonna give you a standing ovation. So that's what I did in a factory in 1949. I gathered the people of color, And we ended up uh, going to meetings, and that's how I got to meet Martin Luther King. And, And the hug, and we shall overcome, is with me. There is hope in hopelessness. One of the things I can tell you, that your ancestors and mine didn't have it as good as we do, and guess what? They never gave up. And that's what you carry. You carry that blood, and I carry my ancestors' blood. And I know, I know that they must be very proud of me and you, too, that you're here, that you work for President Obama. And uh, what a wonderful guy. I'm going to call him a Renaissance man. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, you write in The Gift that conflict is human. And when we avoid conflict, we're actually moving closer to tyranny than to peace. But there has to be a transition from conflict to peace. And you've seen that having been freed from a death camp um, to a more peaceful time. What does that transition look like? Uh,
3: There is no question about it that Auschwitz was totally unexpected, totally unanticipated. We weren't prepared for that then, and we weren't prepared for this here now. I could not change what was outside of me. I could not ever change the external circumstances. I could have been thrown in a gas chamber any minute, being beaten and tortured, but they could never really murder my spirit. So when we got up four o'clock in the morning, we didn't know where we're going to end up, possibly in a gas chamber. When we took a shower, we didn't know whether water or gas is gonna come out. And that's a very, very difficult place to be today, as well, to be in a limbo. So how how do you transition from tyranny uh, to peace? It's, it's a journey, it's a journey that you revisit the places where you've been. You relive that experience, but you go through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't camp there. I refuse to be a victim. It's not my identity. It's not who I am. It's what was done to me. I will never forget what happened. And I'm certainly never going to overcome what happened. People tell me I overcame. No, I did not. But I think the best thing I can say that I came uh, to realize that I have a special, cherished wound in my heart. Uh, that I not only made it, but I'm also guiding other people to to to. To transcend from victimization to empowerment, from darkness to light, and never ever give up hope.
2: That's right. And Dr. Eager, I think that it's so beautiful and so powerful when you say, you know, you go through the valley, you don't camp there. But you have to look back on these on the lessons and what happened in history. And we're seeing that there are some people that are denying that some of these atrocious events ever even happened in the first place. Do you think that there's any hope in educating people about genocide, or do they just want to deny that
3: the worst has ever happened? I think it's important to say that unfortunately genocide is happening as we speak, but never in the history of mankind. Such a scientific and systematic annihilation of people existed when 15 highly educated people decided that they can put 30,000 Jews into the oven in one day. And this is the final solution of Archman, and I am part of that final solution. And you speak so beautifully about trauma
2: and you've been through so much of it and even hearing you say that you know you don't feel like you overcame but you honor this very beautiful wound and you also say that you've struggled with flashbacks and survivor's guilt for a long time and wanted to stay silent what made you speak out so publicly in these books
3: you ask such beautiful brilliant questions thank you (laughs) You know, when I came to America, I didn't speak a word of English and I didn't have six dollars to get off the boat. So when you asked me who I was, I would say, you know, who do you want me to be? I just wanted to be a kind of a good, successful schizophrenic. And uh, so what I did when I came to America, I just went underground. I wouldn't do it today but I didn't know how to really find the verbal capacity because I didn't want people to, to see me as some kind of a damaged merchandise. And so um, what made me started to talk about it, it was at the University um, of Texas, actually, when I was doing a lot of work with bettered wives and I have built transitional living centers for better wives. And by the way, they go back anywhere from seven to 15 times because the husband brainwashes her that without him, she's nothing. And unfortunately, the women believe that too. So we have to do a lot of, lot of, lot of work in uh, explaining to women what it means to have the power within and not to react, but to respond. It's another lecture, by the way, <laughs> a lot of lecture. Um, and I, so I was talking about the battered wives, and then the professor asked, um, uh, how many of you actually heard of Auschwitz? And just a few hands went up, and that's when I decided that I can talk about better wives and many things. But if I don't talk about the, the gas chamber in Auschwitz, uh, that is my duty. I owe it to my parents. And that's when I began to talk. It was way back, actually, in the 70s, when I met Viktor Frankl when Search for meaning when I decided to write a little article and someone sent it to him to Vienna. And one day I got a letter that he wants to meet me in San Diego at the university where he was teaching "Search for Meaning. And that was really wonderful. What was happening also that for many years people asked me uh, to start writing and automatically I would say, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say until Philip Zimbardo from Stanford, who wrote the foreword in The Choice, said, uh, uh, you know, Edie, the survivors who made it and are famous are all men. We need a female voice. And that's how the choice came, is the female voice of Viktor Frankl. But Viktor Frankl, when it's his studies. he was in his thirties, uh, he was a medical doctor in Auschwitz. And I was a 16-year-old in love. And that's a different time of one's life. Uh, my boyfriend told me I have beautiful eyes and beautiful hands, and that's what Kia kept me going, asking anybody to tell me about my hands. And even my sister told me, uh, asked me, uh, how do I look? And there we were, totally naked. And, and I had a choice then, as you have a choice now. I like to bring the there and then to the here and now. So instead of telling her the way she looked, naked, no hair, you can picture a blonde girl like that. And I told her, Magda, you have beautiful eyes, and I didn't see it when you had your hair all over the place. So anytime you see something, I ask you to ask yourself, as I do, is it kind, is it really important, is it necessary? And now I say to people, we have two ears and one mouth, so we would talk less and listen more. And not only listen more, but listen compassionately and just say, tell me more. That's what I did with the white supremacy boy who came to tell me how he's gonna kill all the Jews and all the other people as well.
1: I read that part. You talk about having to find the inner Nazi in yourself to figure out a way to communicate with people who have this just um, hate that they're expressing.
0: It's interesting that you bring up Viktor Frankl, because he's someone that I thought about in reading your words and your messages, both being so powerful, but yours from a feminine perspective. In the gift... One of the things that you highlight is how the worst experience is being imprisoned in your mind. And you highlight the 12 most pervasive imprisoning beliefs that we can have, some of them being fear and anger and grief. Can you talk through some of these beliefs for us and how it is that they work to imprison our minds?
3: Oh, you're asking again a very, very important question. So I like to talk about the word anger. When we're angry, We can do three things with the anger. We either vent it, suppress it. I like to teach you how to dissolve it. Because when I'm angry at you, you don't suffer, I do. So it's very important to look at the other emotions that are underneath of anger. That anger is not a primary emotion, and one of the biggest things underneath of anger is fear. And fear and love does not go together. I've never seen love coming out of guilt uh, either, because the guilt is in the past, worry is in the future, and that's why that it's, it's very important to look underneath of anger and deal with the fear that will never, ever produce love.
0: You traveled back to Auschwitz, and that was a very important part of your healing journey. Can you speak to how confronting the past contributed to your healing?
3: (laughs) Magda, my sister, uh, who's alive and well, and she had her 100th birthday in January, and she tells you that she's 99 years old. I don't know why one year makes such a difference, but I don't correct. I don't correct her at all. Uh, I did go to her, asked her to come with me back to Auschwitz, because I went to the funerals of my friends, parents, and uh, I didn't like myself. You know, I was kind of cynical, and so I told Magda to come with me to go back to Auschwitz because my mother told me in the cattle car. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what's going to happen. Just remember, no one can take away from you what you put in your own mind. And I had to go back to my mother, and I had to tell my mother that's exactly what happened. Everything was taken away from me, and I still had my mind, and I still have Magda, my sister, so I asked her, I got to go back to the lion's Then I got to look at the lion in the face. I got to reclaim my innocence. I like to reclaim all the, all the hate uh, to the perpetrator. And, and uh, anyway, I tried to convince her as well as I could. And she told me I'm an idiot. And that was the end of the conversation.
2: <laughs> well, it sounds like it was such a powerful step in your healing process. And I know that you talk to people about this all the time, and you are um, such a giver of advice on how to heal and how to set yourself on that journey. But what are some of the tips that you give people as they are starting the process?
3: I thought when I wrote The, the Choice, and I got the New York Times bestseller, I thought, you know, that was the most unexpected, that most wonderful time of my life. And then I kept all kinds of people, uh, uh, numbers, I called them back and they told me that I should write a book that is a how-to book, a practical application. And that's how the gift came about. And oh, you you see a chapter and then the how-tos. So none of the positive thinking does any good unless it's followed with a positive action. Especially when I talk to teenagers, they tell me, after I tell them about the choices they have, perhaps, and they say to me, I'm going to do it. So I called them "gonna people" because they always gonna. They always gonna. I'm, I'll think about it tomorrow. Um, did you see "Gone with the Wind"? Go the wind. You know, you know the Yankees are coming, and there is war going on. And and she said, "I'll think about it tomorrow." Remember her? Yeah, the, the hysterical woman. Yeah, yes, yes. So, think about your thinking, because what you think, you create. Think about your thinking and pay attention, what you're paying attention to, and see what you focus in is in alignment to get you closer to a goal that I'm going to call an arrow, to follow an arrow. So, when you get up in the morning, you look in a mirror and say, Patrick, I love you. Lorraine, I love you. And self-love is self-care. It's not narcissistic. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That's right. Everything starts with you. You're born alone, and there is such a thing as life between birth and death.
0: We're all in this kind of equalizing moment with the pandemic and, and different stages of opening up, but not really in, a, in terms of normalcy. And a lot of people, to your point, have been dealing with a lot of emotional um, kind of ups and downs and trauma. And I'm curious, given what an expert you are on this subject, do you have any insight about how people can get through this time and what people should be looking to as far as self-care, to your point?
3: I think that everything happens for our greater good. And if you look at life as one day, you're going through right now not a crisis, but a transition. We're going through a transition. There is no going back. There is a new beginning. I think it's very important to really take stock of your life. Where are you coming from and where are you now? It's like you're switching gears in a car and then you have to release the clutch. So what are you holding on to and what are you willing to let go of? My definition of love is the ability to let go. Let go of the need for other people's approval. I used to, you know, give big, big speeches for hundreds of people, thousands, 5,000, 5, uh, and the people would come and shake my hand and, and told me how great I was until one man says to me, you know, Dr. Eger, your talk was okay, but, believe me, but, Cancelled out every good things because I was now wondering, what did I do wrong? So find the Hitler in you. It's there. And all you have to do is get rid of the but and change it to end. Yes, and I'm here. And if I knew then what I know now, believe me, I would have done things differently. Because my parents had tickets to come to America. I cannot blame my parents.
2: No, for not, not at coming. Right.
3: To no, you have to stop blaming, especially yourself. And I am hoping that I can give you uh, that that guide and be your ophthalmologist to see things from a different perspective and stop complaining. Because when you ask a child, "Why do you do that?" the child would say, "Because I feel like it." Children don't care about consequences. As an adult, I still feel like it because God gave me temptation. And what is a temptation? That uh, I, uh, I would like to have something, and children don't care about the consequences. Because if you eat sugar, you're going to gain more weight. But as an adult, I still have the temptation, but it doesn't mean I'm going to act upon it. So that's why when you're a child, you are in the back of the car, and you do your own thing and mess around, because somebody is at the wheel. But here now, you want to make a decision whether you want to live a life of a child or an adult. I think adults take responsibility with freedom. There is no freedom without responsibility. It's anarchy.
2: That's right. And you talk about how you need to learn to let go and you need to be responsible. And in your book, you say, are you, you ask the question, are you evolving or are you revolving? Why do we continue to allow our healing to be so cyclical?
3: How kind of you to know, and, and really using my words. My daughter calls it edism. Are you evolving, are you evolving? And the opposite of depression is expression, because what comes out of your body doesn't make you ill. So don't suppress your anger. It's, believe me, your body talks to you. Listen to your body. So uh, so why do we allow our healing to be so cyclical? That's right. Good question.
0: We've talked a lot today about confronting our past in order to heal our pain. If someone hasn't attempted to do that, doesn't know where to start, what would be your advice to them?
3: I, I think one of the things we want to do is to revisit the places, because when you're angry at someone, that person just triggered something in you that has nothing to do with what's going on right now. It may have happened with your family of origin a long, long time ago that is still with you, and it's very important that you revisit that place and recognize that you have have some unfinished emotional issues. Issues are different from topics. Uh, one of the questions I do ask, when did your childhood end? Because if you're a child of an immigrant, we parentize the children. My little girl was two years old, and she introduced me to peanut butter. I never seen peanut butter or tuna fish in my life. And then she brought home a book called Chicken Little, and then came Ducky Lucky, Goosey Lucy, Turkey Lurkey, and I was looking at my child because she became my parent. So that's why what's happening many times uh, some people were incest at a certain age. That's definitely the time when your childhood ended. And that's the question is, when did your childhood end? And that's very important, because we grieve over not what happened, but what didn't happen. So when my granddaughter asked me to buy her a dress so she could go to Bishop's School to her dance, and, of course, I bought her a beautiful Laura Ashley um, a, a black velvet, beautiful dress. And when I came home and out of the blue, I was crying. I, the word understand. See, when you talk to men, they always want to understand everything. They're up here in the head all the time. I want to understand. We women are in the heart. And, and talk about the feelings. So this is very important uh, to bring up. What? When did your childhood end? And it's very very important that when uh, my little Lindsay was uh, in a in this wonderful dress, and I came home, and I started to cry. I didn't cry because I bought Lindsay a dress. I cried because I never went to a dance. And that's why it's important that you grieve over not what happened, but what didn't happen. And that's why my work is what I do, the choice therapy, that you revisit the places where you've been and you relive that experience, but you're not there. You're here now with me. I provide a safe environment that you can feel any feelings without the fear of being judged. And you cannot heal what you don't feel. So it's very important to cry. It's good for you to get it out. And then, of course, you revise your life.
1: Dr. Eager, um, honestly, you started out by saying that you would be, you would like us as your ambassadors. And I think we're all signing up. <laughs> we, are, we are happy to be your advisor, your ambassadors, um, you know, and, and uh, I, I have to say that you have aged like fine wine. So uh, better, um, better with time. And, you know, I, I, I look at you today when we're doing this interview and you've lived nearly a century, through some of the most tumultuous times into more tumultuous times. And, you know, we're at a different point in our lives where we've worked for a leader who talked about the world as it should be, and then seen a leader who believed a little different things about the world as it is. What advice do you have for all of us who believe that the world as it should be is possible. And how do we get there?
3: Well, you fake it until you make it. <laughs> that's, how, that's how act as if you were the person that you really are capable of becoming. Yes, yes. I never treat a person as they are. I treat them as if they would be what I would like them to be. And that's how that's how you you risk risk is a very good English word. Risk. So if I come to you after that, and I would say, Patrick, I really would like to go and and be your friend, and I hope you want to be my friend too, and uh, and you thank me, and then you also tell me. Um, I'm just not into it right now. I think there is a book on it. You're not into it, and you tell me that. Now look what happened. I risked, I asked what I wanted, and I didn't get it. Now, which God said that I should get what I want, when I want it, how I want it, the way I want it? There is no such thing. I'm disappointed, but I'm not discouraged. There is a big, big difference. I was not rejected, because rejection is an English word that people make up to express a feeling when you don't get what you want. No one rejects me but me. So don't give power to people that they don't have. Give up the need for their approval. Give up the need to please everyone, and most of all, Let go of perfectionism, because that will create procrastination.
1: That was beautiful. Truly, Dr. Eger, it has been our honor to get to speak with you today. We are happy. Like I said, we're going to be your ambassadors. So thank you so much for this time. I like that fake it until we make it, and maybe the world is as it should be. We just need to all forgive ourselves so that we can have it be a little bit more beautiful for all of us.
3: Yeah, have a model. Take a picture of you uh, now, and then go look at the picture when you were a little child. When you were a little girl, and you were bright-eyed, and bushy-tailed, and, and you were picturing yourself. Uh, and i I'd like you to really get in touch with that little girl and tell her uh, that, I am going to be a good mommy to myself, so I will never ever leave you and I will never ever will abandon you and and, uh, take that little girl and see how you can really recognize that maybe your childhood ended early so another other question is with that when you did your childhood end is would you like to be married to you Yes yes <laughs> yes. yes Yes I am yes I can yes I will That's your mantra Yes I like, am yes I, I can. can yes, I, yes will.
2: I will Oh thank That's you so much Dr. Eager this you. has been so lovely
3: Thank you
1: I feel so lucky that we got to speak with someone who has so much experience, um, but really she's used her pain and turned it into energy for so many people in this world. And I'm really um, grateful. And I can't believe, I can actually believe that it was a man who told her to write her story. But the fact that she did not think that she had a story... I'm so glad she wrote it. I'm so glad she got the encouragement to write her story.
2: Well, the powerful thing about it is we all have a story within us. And I think that just hearing her and knowing what she went through and thought, I don't have a story to tell, is kind of unthinkable. And just her encouragement for us to heal ourselves, she says, you know, you can't heal what you don't feel. And these little nuggets that she kept giving us were so fantastic. And to be able to still do that at 93, I think about her sister Magda, who's 100.
0: Wow, what a life well lived. 100%. I I was taking notes during the interview, and there's several things that I'm going to be unpacking. One of them, when she said that our pain is often around what didn't happen, not what did. I want to sit with that one. When did your childhood end? I mean, I, I... I, that was deep. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I was like, you know, as a child of an immigrant, you do think about the parentification of young people and when that Mm -hmm. happens. And so that's, that was another part that stuck out to me. But wow, when she asked, would you like to be married to yourself? I mean, I think all of us were kind of like, huh? (laughs) Exactly. So
2: food for thought for all of us. Most certainly. And we want to transition a little bit to our POTUS of the week. And it is Tashara Jones. She is the first ever black woman in St. Louis history to become the mayor. We are so glad to see her step into her power
0: and take on this role. And we look forward to seeing all that she has to bring to the city of St. Louis. Another woman stepping into her power is Natalia Dorantes, who recently became the first Latina to be chief of staff in the NFL, where she'll be working with the coaching staff and football operations. we love to see it. Congratulations, Natalia.
1: And I have to give a second shout out this week to a friend from high school, a former team member. We worked together at Pizza Hut years ago, Pam Best Tab got elected to Galesburg, Illinois' school board, and I am so excited. She's a mom, she's in social work for a long time, and she's bringing a new energy. Galesburg uh, unified. And that's exactly what we want to see is that more women are inspired to step into their power because I think we're going to need all hands on deck.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. As always, Pod is a Woman is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. Be sure to rate, review and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.